Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. The title race tables have taken another turn this weekend as Monaco become the latest side to watch their dreams go up in smoke as 17-year-old Ryan Cherky inspires Lyon to an unlikely victory and one which ended in an all-out brawl. Elsewhere, Lille power on as leaders while PSG keep up the pressure, ensuring that whatever happens, this is likely to go down to the wire. We also have battles for Europe and survival intensifying by the day and summer managerial exodus uh, approaching, which is looking like it will be taking another name. On today's show, we'll be discussing the anarchic events of Monaco Leon, Lille's clash with Nice and PSG versus Lens, as well as previewing Les Parisiens' Tuesday Champions League semi-final second leg against Manchester City. Plus, our spotlight section makes a return where our player profile will be on Monaco's Yusuf Fafana. I'm your host, Jake Smales, and I'm joined, as usual, by Eric Devin. Hey, Eric, how are you holding up today? Uh, last night's game must have been a slightly strange one, given your uh, affiliations or allegiances, I should say, towards uh, both the teams involved. Yeah, uh, it was good. You know, I, I, I'm well. The match is exciting. You know, we had another brilliant advert for, for the quality and, and excitement that have come to define league this season. Uh, I don't think you could ask for more than that. I, I think that, you know, as I was mentioning off air, you know, I, I have a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth in terms of the fact that, you know, Leon are going to play Lorient, who we've shown are a more than who have shown themselves to be a more than competent um, attacking opponent uh, at the weekend. And they're going to be they're going to be deprived not only of Memphis Depay, who is who will be missing out for a suspension of yellow or accumulation of yellows, but also now Maxence Cacare, Matia Decilio, Marcelo, uh, and there's also, pardon me, uh, uh, there's also a question over Jason Denier's fitness after he was forced off. So, yeah, uh, to say the least, it's a it's a it's a mixed bag. You know, I'm glad of the result, but of what's to come, I'm, I'm not exactly um, ambitious. Yeah, it's a strange. It's a it's a strange one, you know. After such a monumental, obviously a monumental result for for Leon, you know, to have those players now suspended and of course Denier injured, we'll we'll get onto this, of course. Yeah, but it's it's going to be a, a trickier few games despite the this kind of momentum swing that we've had take place with some end of season fatigue kicking in. We've made another rotation to keep things fresh, but what a rotation it is uh, as we bring in the man known on Twitter as Euro expert, Mr. Alex Barker. Good evening, Alex. Um, do you have any soft spot in particular for a particular French team or perhaps even a, a dog in the Ligue 1 title race? <laughs> I see what you've did there. Uh, yes, I'll get on to that. But yeah, thank you for having me. I am Alex, the Euro expert. You may have seen me covering La Liga or Ligue 1 or the Premier League. And the guy who tries to cover every European league. But my, my guilty secret is that I was born and made in Ligue 1, my favourite league. And... As you, you you expertly hinted there, great hosting there. Um, I, I'm I'm slowly succumbing to the fact. I think I'm turning into a plastic fan of Lille. I've fallen <laughs> in love with them this season, and you know another another weekend where they pull away in the title race brings me a massive smile to my face. But well, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later on. Great to hear. We don't actually have anyone who even a plastic Lille fan, as you put it on the show normally. So nice to have. <laughs> In their corner. I mean, I'm sure lots of us, lots of us who are more neutral, are, are, are wishing them on. But yeah, good, to, great to have you on, Alex. Let's jump straight into uh, Sunday night's headline clash. Then, shall we? Monaco, Ligue 1's form team of 2021, were still facing possible and even realistic title chances as they welcomed Lyon to the Stade Louis II. Lyon, however, had seen that ship sail with last week's defeat to Lille and now face the realistic possibility of another year without Champions League football. In short, a Monaco win would keep them in the hunt for the title and end Lyon's UCL ambitions. Victory for Lyon would mean hope and likely the end of Monaco's title challenge. As has been the story of their recent games, Lyon dominated proceedings early, but were outdone by some excellent Monaco interplay, which saw Kevin Volland put Monaco ahead, a lead the Principality side held on at half-time. In the second half, however, the game came to life. Memphis Depay danced his way through the Monaco defence to level the score, and things were looking up for the visitors. 
That until Maxon's Kakare was sent off, leaving them with 10 men. Against the odds, Leon managed to take the lead on 77 minutes through Marcelo, but their good work was undone minutes later when some typically aggressive Anthony Lopez goalkeeping resulted in a Monaco penalty being awarded. Rizan Benyeda subsequently levelling the score on 86 minutes, his 100th Ligue 1 goal. As desperation kicked in for the 10 men of Lyon, and with their season crumbling before their very eyes, up stepped 17-year-old Rayon Cherki, who drilled in his first Ligue 1 goal and potentially the most significant of Lyon's season to give OL a hugely unlikely win. The match ended in a mass brawl, which saw four players receive their marching orders, Monaco's Pietro Pellegri and Willem Goebbels, and Lyon's Mattia de Chilio and Marcelo. Jean-Michel Olas was also in tears, but tears of joy and relief, I believe, rather than tears relating to the savage fighting going on on the pitch. Um, Eric, uh, another Sunday evening fixture in France, another breathless game of football in every sense. What did you make of this match? Yeah, I think that um, we we saw a good performance from Leon in terms of their commitment. Um, they they fought they, uh, just as they had in, in when these two teams played in in the uh, Coupe de France a fortnight ago. Uh, again, going with three at the back: Marcelo Decilio and Jason Denier, who was of course uh, forced off their injury, uh, unfortunately. But I, I think you know really a, a, a good performance. Uh, the, the the players were all to a man very committed and. And worked hard. Um, uh, you had Depay and Tokokambe playing as a strike partnership behind Paqueta, Corne and Dubois playing as wingbacks. Um, so yeah, I, I think a, a bit of a tactical shift, but I think one that uh, Rudy Garcia had seen uh, in in the, the previous fixture against Monaco uh, that this team could be got at. Um, now again, you know, there's certainly a, any number of caveats one could offer about this. Obviously, Monaco themselves were, were also you know, not shy of absences. You had uh, Alexander Golovin missing, uh, Stefan Jovetic, uh, Sofian Jop, um, you know, Justin Martins, all, all very key players in this team. Uh, you know, again, some of their effectiveness has been inconsistent. You know, they've been dog, dogged by injury or COVID um, or both in the case of Martins. Um, but again, um, you know, both of these teams, you know, clearly played a bit between their teeth uh, and, and were really ready to get stuck in. Uh, you know, Leon had some good chances in, in the first 20 minutes, uh, shot over the bar on the volley from, from Dubois, for example. But uh, I think Monaco were probably deserved leaders at the half, maybe should have even been further ahead. Um, you know, just really showing the quality that they have all year of, uh, pardon me, of uh, Volende and Ben Yedder, or Yetterland, as they like to be called. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, it was, it was a good, open, exciting match. And I think that, um, you know, both teams came to win. And... Um, it, that was really apparent. Um, but unfortunately, there was, you know, like I said, a bit of bad blood throughout. Um, I think that some of that had lingered on from what we saw two weeks ago. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's certainly mitigating circumstances and makes the match uh, a little bit more unseemly than, you, than one might like um, for a match of this caliber. We, ne- we never like to see, um, how does one say it? We never like to see bad blood. We want to see a match of a high quality, um, you know, like we had between uh, Lille and Leon last weekend. So, um, but, you know, that being said, it's still a relatively minor, you know, blot on, on, on the match's copybook, as it were. I think it was really exciting, some really great goals. Um, you know, and of course, the story of Sherky, who's, you know, I, I think been someone who's been talked about for quite a while. He had that incredible match against Nantes. When was that? Uh, in the Coupe de France last season, um, but mm-hmm. still was yet to yet to score in Liga. I think again, really stepping up at a at a big time uh, for the club and and showing how he can be really be one for the future. So yeah, very impressive. Yeah, very impressive um, indeed. Um, and you know, great for Ryan Shirky, someone who's been been touted um, for so long as 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 such a, a talent to, to finally not only just get his his first goal in Liga, but for that goal to be. Uh, so significant in really potentially turning Leon's season around. Um, Alex, Leon will now, as we, we've kind of um, alluded to, to there with the bad blood, because of these suspensions, be uh, without a few of their important players in, in the in the running that's coming, including Marcelo and De Chilio, who more recently has played played more of a part for them. And obviously, Jason Denier went off injured. But 
they are now just one point behind um, third, one point off UCL qualification. Uh, do you believe this is a team that that still has a, a decent chance, or is this game kind of as as momentous uh, uh, as it felt? Is this kind of is 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 this too little, too late for them in the race for for Champions League football? I, I'm beginning. I tell you what, I'm beginning to lean a little towards too little, too late because. If, while this was, like you said, a m- monumentous victory for Leon. I mean, I was watching the game live, and I, particularly after Volland's first goal, I really thought they were out of it because shortly after Volland had two opportunities to make to double and triple Monaco's lead. I'm thinking in around the 30th minute where he got through and he went to pass it across without realizing that he's basically one beat one. And the character they showed to come back from, especially after the penalty, which I do think, I think the penalty is unfortunate because it was rash goalkeeping. But, you know, it it, it was it was a, a glance. I feel like if you missed uh, missed a the player, then it wouldn't it wouldn't have been given. Mm. So uh, Leon definitely showed good character. But the thing with Leon, you can't trust them too well. Like, it was like we were thinking last week when they're beating Lille, right? 2-0. And you're thinking, okay, this is Leon. This is what they need to do. They need to shut out here. They need to sit back and just take this. They need Rudy Garcia to do some Rudy Garcia things and make this boring. And they couldn't do that. And I think if it was another team, if it was was a different team ahead of them, other than Monaco, I think they would catch them. But despite this loss, Monaco still look absolutely superb. I mean, they've been talking about with a few other league gun uh, viewers that I think Monaco are going to push PSG to the title next season. I think this is just a taste of what they're going to be like. And I haven't got a list of the fixtures in front of me, but I, I, I don't trust Leon to hold on to this, especially as you said, Jake, with the absences. I mean, that's, the, we, we've touched on the discipline here. It's not what we like to see, but it's what we've seen in Ligue 1 all season. I mean, there was 10 red cards across the 10 fixtures in league um, this weekend including the ones that happened and the, the worst bit is i don't even think that's a record i don't even think that's a record for this season it's been so ridiculous with the old discipline but I, just to wrap it up a bit quicker then i just think that that even without the suspensions i wouldn't have backed leon to claw it back and with those suspensions without marcelo in particular I do think that Monaco are just going to retain their spot. I think they're just going to do enough to get UCL qualification. Yeah, I think I think I agree. Uh, you know, we have we t- we kind of considered that Monaco's run was perhaps the more straightforward of the of the four sides in that title race, and so you know, as 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 significant a result as this seems right now, I do think it would would take a kind of big drop off from Monaco for. For things to change around, and you know their suspensions in in Pellegrini and Goebbels, who haven't exactly kind of been big part <laughs> of this season, aren't shouldn't uh, play too much of a role in the running. Um, Eric, I mean Monaco in this one to me seemed to kind of lose their their structure once Lyon went down to ten men. Um, they hadn't conceded a goal for eight hundred and sixty seven minutes prior to the Depay goal. Um, they conceded three on the night obviously um two of those coming after uh, having the man advantage uh nine straight clean sheets before this one one goal conceded in their last 12 in all competitions did you get a sense that they had themselves to blame or perhaps Kovac is to blame in part for this one in terms of how things seem to kind of fall apart for them or how they weren't able to to really impose themselves onto this one in the way that we might have expected. Yeah, you know, I, I do feel kind of like there was a bit of a bit of tinkering on the, on the part of Kovac. I mean, look, if this team is structured to shut teams down and to limit them going forward, you know, given this long run of not having conceded a goal that just ended, um, I find it very hard that that's gone out the window to such a degree, especially against the Leon side that, you know, really haven't evinced much consistency um, over in the calendar year, really. Um, and just, you know, taking off Badish, taking off Desassi for Betty Chile, um, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like he, there, to me, it struck me to, to some degree as tinkering for the sake of tinkering. Um, and it wasn't necessarily related to trying to steal a result. And it left me feeling fairly frustrated 
Um, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, Kovac is, uh, you know, by any means someone who, who you know, we should, uh, who should be the target of any, any ire or abuse given what he's achieved this season. But I, I do kind of wonder that he, he, he does seem so uh, enamored with this, this idea of, of, you know, this fluid tactical system and changing things. And it, it can be three at the back and four at the back with the same personnel, I just, yeah, I think that that kind of fell flat on its face a little bit last night um, without having that real spark of creativity that can be so crucial uh, for, um, pardon me, for Monaco that they're missing in terms of not having Golovin or indeed Jovetic available to them uh, in midfield. I mean, I, I have a lot of time, as we'll, we'll hear later, for Chiamini and, and Fofana, but uh, let's be honest, I, I don't think that either one of those players... Um, you know, has a great level of creativity about them. Um, and I think they, I think that they necessarily can struggle without that sort of spark there. Um, you know, again, uh, Valland and Mignetta are fantastic players, but uh, how they get the ball is another story. And, and that, that indeed can be a little bit frustrating uh, for them without having those outlets. Um, Eric, in, in, in a word, um, is that Monaco's title challenge over? I mean, they're, they're five points behind now with, with three games to go. Obviously, we shouldn't take anything away from them because they've significantly overperformed and been so good for so long. But but is this it now? Yes, I think so. I, I think that, you know, Lille and PSG, you know, again, PSG obviously have other fish to fry in terms of the Coupe de France, but then so do Monaco um, and the Champions League, obviously. Um, but I think Lille, if they have a bit between their teeth, I'd have them as as probably as the favorite uh, with PSG close behind. I don't, I don't see Monaco coming back into this race um, being, what is it now? They're four points off of, of PSG. No, I just don't see that happening. No, I, I would agree. And I think uh, something that's probably cost them is their, the fact that they weren't able to beat Lille or Lyon uh, once in the league. Whereas, um, um, you know, other teams in the top four were able to have better records against uh, their direct competitors, uh, but yeah, com- a tough evening for Monaco. But you know they have been so brilliant this season, and Kovac has done a sensational job. And as as Alex highlighted earlier on, you know I think we we fully expect them to be to be right up there again next season. Uh, but let's move on to the side uh, driving their way, I guess, um, um, struggling their way slowly but surely potentially to the title and that is Lille who hosted Nice on Saturday night. Uh, Lille needed a win to return to the top of Ligue 1 but knowing that with their recent home form one win in their last five uh, Les Aiglons could prove dangerous opposition. Uh, Nice themselves having recorded recent big wins over Montpellier and Marseille What's more, incredibly, Lille had only won one of their last 16 meetings against Nice. That being said, Lille found themselves 1-0 up after 13 minutes thanks to a powerful pinpoint strike from the man known in Turkey as the King, Burak Yilmaz, his 13th of the season and fourth in his last four games. A match that looked like a potential stumbling block for Les Dogues became an even more straightforward affair early into the second half when Jordan Latomba was sent off for a second bookable offence, leaving Nice a man down. A missile of a volley from the boot of Zeki Celik then saw Lille double their lead. Yilmaz went on to hit the post, but the scoreline remained 2-0, with Lille now a maximum of three wins away from their first league title since 2011. Um, Alex, Nice had zero shots, never mind zero shots on target in this one. Um, obviously they were hindered in part by the sending off in the second half, but do you feel this match, uh, the, the result, I guess, was was testament to Lille's dominance or, or, or were Nice off the pace here? Uh, I, think, I think a good place to start was the very strange atmosphere going into this game, because obviously there was big reports in the media, mainly from a certain Mr. Fabrizio Romano, that Nice had made a formal approach to Christophe Gaultier and he's reportedly very tempted by the role. There was also, to make things even stranger, before the game, we had Lille fan, uh, Nice fans basically saying, we want Lille to win, can you lose, pretty much, <laughs> in, front of their, in front of their own team going into the match. So it was a strange atmosphere. So no doubt the Nice players must have been distracted 
And I think that did play a part into the performance because I just think they had no attacking game plan. I think Dolberg was so isolated up front and really the only good player for Nice before Lotomba gets sent off was Yusuf Atto. I think he was looking particularly sharp. But Lille have just a funny way of shutting out games. And I do think it was in part just a um, Benjamin Andre and Sumari, I think. Sumari, I think, has really come on leaps and bounds this season. Both of them had a very, very strong game. And I'll tell you something else as well. Well, I think this kind of ties into what I think answers it pretty well as well. The reason Lille have managed to get past Nice and get past them is it's just a very decent performance from a certain Luis Araujo, who has been used intermittently this season by Christophe Gaultier. And I think what's done superb for Lille this season is just the management of the squad. They've got such a big squad, even though they've used the fewest players in Ligue 1. But Gaultier is such a good way of keeping everyone happy that the fact Luis Araujo, who hasn't started for a while, has come into the team and looked as sharp as ever and gave his all and was not only good in the final third, but very good at tracking back. There's, I had it in my notes. There's a couple of times where Nice were beginning to come forward down the left of Kamara and Araujo was doing a really good job at marking him. And Kamara, obviously, we know of his time at um, Rams, that very strong threat, threat down the left. So, to, you know, to answer it, I guess it was just, it was a strange atmosphere, but it was another example of Lille managing their squad well and just getting the job done. Yeah, it certainly it certainly felt that way. And as you say, some big performances, Araujo, um, Bubakari Sumare, uh, who's been excellent over the last few months. He he was in L'Equipe's team of the week. Um, Mike Menon, of course, um, uh, I mean, wasn't particularly needed in this one, but now it's <laughs> big sheets in in the league, which is the most of any goalkeeper in Europe's top five leagues. And uh, yeah, uh, just a, just another another very very solid performance from everyone involved. Um, Eric, the, uh, the, I think rather than kind of a, on an individual player basis, what what this was kind of emblematic of the significance of of that Turkish contingent at. Lille, obviously, in terms of both Barak Yilmaz and Zeki Celik with the goals, particularly the latter with that incredible, incredible strike and, and Yusuf Yazici as well involved in the build up for the for the first goal. But this shift from Luis Campos to focusing on the Turkish league or recognising the talent there and the possibilities of bringing players in who can make significant impact at Lille and in Ligue 1 and, and take Lille to another level Surely this is this is a uh, perhaps the the best part of his of his legacy at, at Lille, or, or at least the most surprising, because nobody I think would have expected him to signal to bring in players like Burak Yilmaz, who have just made such a such a significant impact in in the title race. Yeah, I know. I think that that that's that's very credible. I think that that Lille have you know obviously originally there the idea was to bring through all these young players you, you know you think about you know some players that haven't worked out you know if you look at you know Thiago Maia um you had uh, Edgar AA the, the defender I mean there were a lot of younger players who just haven't really worked out for them um but I I do think that uh, at this this point by giving more balance to the squad and also adding players with league on experience I'm looking specifically at Benjamin Andre um so they, but also continuing to bring in young players. You look at Sven Botman as well, um, how impressive he's been. Um, but again, pardon me. Um, I do think that um, that if this is if this is their mo, having a you know having a more varied team, bringing in Barak Yilmaz is sort of this um, figure that can be a physical presence and leading the line, uh, akin to what Look Remy had provided in recent years, and, and allow a player you know whether it's a Jonathan David, a Victor Osimhen, and Nicola Pepe. Uh, in years past, obviously, to work off him, um, I think that really shows a holistic understanding of what's needed to build a balanced squad. Both talent coming, young talent of various ages, uh, and with knowledge of the league, but also without. And I think that heterogene- heterogeneity uh, in the squad has has really been the key to to uh, Lille's good form this season. And to say nothing of uh, you know the managerial mouse of Christophe Galtier, but again, that diversity in terms of recruitment. Uh, Continues to be key, um, and I, I, it, it, yeah, it shows. Yeah, I was just going to hop in there as well because it leads perfectly into something. Obviously, GFN's linked to the um, the Modern Footballer magazine, and we've got the Euro, the Euro 2020 special coming out. And I'm doing a Turkey special at the moment, actually, a profile on them, how they are 
probably the one of the most underrated nations in, if not the Europe and the world. And looking at Yilmaz, Yazici and Celik, they were both in the Turkish Super League two years ago. And with the rest of Turkey, they've kind of risen up the ranks in Europe in terms of quality. And I think not only has this been a really big year for them, as you pointed out, Jake and Eric, but I think it's going to be a really big summer for them as well, just to add in there. I mean, yeah, they, a... they did beat France, uh, what was that, two years ago? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2-0. Mm-hmm. And and clearly that that is something that Luis Campos has 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 been monitoring and tapped into. You know the the, the I guess the wealth of talent that, that that Turkey now has. Yeah, exciting times uh, for the Turkish national team going into going into the summer. Um, a quick one on on Nice then, Alex. You obviously mentioned that that Gautier has been linked with with the job, which is clearly a sign of of Nice's ambition and the ambition of this of this Ineos project at Nice. I mean. Do you believe that he will be tempted by by such a proposition? Because obviously, looking at the table, Nice are tenth, and although they've kind of made, spent money in the transfer market, they haven't really kicked on in the way that I think many expected them to so far mm. under the Ineos ownership. So it's a funny question to ask me because earlier this week, actually, I was uh, I was uh, on a Tottenham channel. And it's a video that went very well because I was talking about how Christoph Galtier would be perfect for Tottenham and he looks likely to be free in the summer. And all lots of fans there got very excited about that, followed me and asking me questions about Galtier. And the next day, yeah, Fabrizio Romano says, Nice have approached him, he's very tempted. And everyone's thinking, what? Why would you downgrade? Why would you go to Nice? They're, they're appalling. They're, they're not kicked on. And I thought that at first as well because you have got that knee-jerk reaction. Like, eh, why would you move from... It's like moving from Man City to Brighton. It's a bit strange. But on paper, and looking at the age profile of the squad, Nice have got a really good up-and-coming team that I think under Piera they were playing they were playing slightly below their talent level. And I think in a similar way to Lampard at Chelsea, once he got that big summer recruitment in, it kind of overwhelmed him, being a young manager who's not had the most experience. I think a manager like Gaultier, and this is why he would be tempted by it, I think he looks at that Nice squad and think. Give me a couple of years and we could be challenging for the Champions League because there's players in there you think, OK, I'm not too sure about like Morgan Schneiderlin. Um, he's, his shelf life is very limited. Ronnie Lopez, I don't think he's hit the ground running in the way we might have hoped into. But players like Lise Malou, Youssef Atal, uh, Latombo, even though he got sent off this game, has looked interesting. And especially uh, Kevin Turam. These players mm. are really talented. And yeah, I don't see why Galtier would not be interested by this job. And I think a lot of European managers will be in. I think what what I would prefer personally, and what I think might happen as well, is I think Galtier will either stately or go through a bigger team. And we'll see a, a foreign manager come into Nice and do really well in a similar way that Kovac has done with Monaco. And again, that would be brilliant for Ligue 1, bringing in some more uh, foreign experience in terms of managerial quality. I mean, we've been talking about how uh, how we hope that more more French managers are are given a chance at the same time. So I guess I guess either way, it could have a interesting repercussions. You could have another mm. another instance of uh, of of what we've had at Monaco this season, or uh, one of the very talented French coaches who are free this summer. Perhaps even the likes of of a David Guillon or a Stéphane Moulin. Stéphane is free, of course, as well. These are perhaps names I would have expected to be to be linked with the Nice job rather than. Than Gautier, but clearly, yeah, as we say, that highlights their ambition. And obviously, Fabrizio Romano is a very respected source in in the football football landscape. So, I'm sure there's credibility there. Um, many a Leon fan, I'm sure as well, will perhaps be be slightly disappointed uh, given the previous links of of Gautier to to the <laughs> OL job. But but certainly promises to be a, a an eclectic summer of managerial changes in Ligue 1, which is something we were we will be hinting at further on in the show. Let's move on to the last game we'll be discussing from the weekend, and that is PSG versus Lens. After a disappointing and damaging Champions League defeat by Manchester City midweek, leaving their hopes of reaching back-to-back finals in the balance, Paris Saint-Germain faced the unenviable task of welcoming Lens to the Parc de Prince on Sunday. PSG were without Kylian Mbappe, but Lens had their own difficulties to contend with. The Northern Club's continued struggles with suspensions and COVID-19 saw them missing several key players, including defender Loic Bade, creative maestro Gael Kakuta, as well as first-choice goalkeeper Jean-Louis Lecca. Both sides traded chances in the first half, 
before Alon's mistake saw Neymar give PSG the lead on 33 minutes. Despite this, Lance ended the first half strongly and subsequently looked the more likely to score until Marquinhos doubled the home side's lead from a corner just shy of the hour mark. Lance continued to create chances and finally found the rub of the green several minutes after PSG's second, with Ignacio Ganago pulling one back. Nevertheless, thanks in a large part to Lance's stand-in keeper, Volker Farinez, the scoreline remained 2-1 to PSG, who remained just one point behind Lille in the title race. Eric, despite their injury absences, Lons made this a difficult one for for Paris Saint-Germain, perhaps as as we expected. This was by no means an easy win for Mauricio Pochettino's side, was it? No, absolutely not. I mean, what Franck has just done, I mean, you know, again, if Gaultier wins the league with Lille, he has to be manager of the year. But, you know, I think that one could make a, a very cogent case that that what Frank Ace has done, and again with very little first-time experience, uh, first-team experience, I think he was appointed a bit, uh, there with two matches to play last season, and ha- and you know sort of slid into promotion as as the season was ended. Our loss happened to be in second place, uh, but again that combative spirit, um, that that willingness to uh, have the team impress despite uh, being forced to rotate uh, throughout the season. Um, managing injuries. I mean, Ganago had that brilliant start to the season, uh, but then sort of trailed off, um, through, through missed a lengthy spell of time through injury. You know, you, you've had, and again, COVID, but again, this team, you know, we saw the, this character last week winning against uh, Neem despite playing with 10 men, and we're seeing it again here now against PSG. And the, the result didn't come off. You kind of wonder what would have happened if you'd had Kakuta fit for, fit for a full match or uh, Florian Satoko, who's been such an important bulwark in, in terms of leading that line from physical presence fit, or a, for or a, someone who's a natural left back, I mean, Clement Mechelen, not a left back uh, or a left wing back. If you had one of Silla or Bora uh, or even Masadio Haidara fit um, to balance things out a little bit, I, I, I think this match could have looked a lot different. Um, so, again, I really hope that Lons continue to push and, um, you know, not too hard this weekend. I think I do. I think we all sort of have a soft spot for Lille and want to see them win the title. Um, but I do think that um, beyond that, we, we want Lens to get the results to see them in Europe, and if this team can keep Heiss and 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 keep most of these players together for next season, I think they could be a really fun team to watch in the Europa League next season. What did you um, make of of the performance of of Volker Farinez, Eric? I mean, this is a, this is a, a player who who is quite highly regarded, particularly in his native Venezuela and in, in South American football. Um, he's come in this season to effectively to be the understudy of, of the more experienced Jean-Louis Lecca. Um, but you know, I thought he was I thought he was incredible. His 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 reflexes in particular looked 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 great. And and it, yeah, what did you make of his performance? And is this someone you see challenging Lecca for the number one spot going forward? Well, I think the idea is that he's a successor to Lecca. Lecca's 35, 36 years old, and you know, well, he has been a decent keeper throughout his time in Liga. I think he's he's you know, had had a a foible or a mistake in him, but he's always been uh, someone who's been you know, relatively reliable, I would say. Uh, but again, Lance won a succession plan, and I, I think that they saw the opportunity in signing Farinas to have that and to have a player who, again, you know, we don't like to speak about <clears throat> teams in league guys being sort of uh, clearing houses for players. It, we want them to succeed and have long careers in Liga, but I, I do think that. Bearing that in mind, uh, we have to we have to look at the fact that Lens certainly are our team that will have financial constraints, and uh, the the appeal of potentially selling him on, uh, as we've seen other clubs do with with goalkeepers of late. Uh, you know, we look at the likes of Edouard Mendy moving moving to Chelsea. Um, you know, that opportunity is there for for teams to to boost their coffers uh, in a meaningful way uh, by developing these young talents, but also still getting a couple of years out of them. Uh, I, I do think that. This is the first I've seen of Farinas. I do think he had started another match at some point in the season, maybe two. Um, but yeah, I think he looks uh, raw. Um, I, I think it's clear that he hasn't played a lot of competitive matches. Obviously, he hasn't. Um, and there's certainly something lacking in terms of his, his sharpness. But I, I think in terms of his, his potential and his, his raw talent, absolutely. I, he's a player to, about whom to be very excited. You know, whether he takes over the, the number one role from uh, Leca next season or he's gets you know some play in the Europa League and Leca continues to start in the league 
Uh, I think remains to be seen, but I think again, yeah, he's without a doubt a very exciting talent and one one <clears throat> whom I'm very look, much looking forward to seeing continue to develop. Yeah, another emblematic example of of the strength of of that Lance project in the same vein as as, as bringing in someone like Seko Fofana, who's obviously a, a far more known commodity in mm-hmm. in Europe, but you know someone who's who's consistently impressed this season and was bought in for for a lot of money impressed again at the weekend but it's another it was it, it seems like another transfer masterstroke from 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 Lance um it's always good to to have a, a succession plan in place in particular for a position like goalkeeper so so excellent work from Lance there looking at PSG then they obviously faced Manchester City on Tuesday uh, after losing 2-1 last Wednesday at the Parc des Princes meaning they will need to score at least twice due to the away goal rule and stay a goal above City. Um, Alex, they, they started the, the first leg so well, but Man City really seemed to find their feet in the second half. And it seemed like as the minutes went by, the game got increasingly um, further and further away from PSG and they seemed to lose their heads. Obviously, you had the, the, the gay red card, which was kind of emblematic of that. What did you make of, of Paris Saint-Germain's performance in that first leg? Um... It was it was it was interesting because under Pochettino, PSG, I I felt I'm a little tiny bit biased because I really rated Thomas Tuchel. I, I love Tuchel and what he done for PSG. So I think maybe I'm a little biased to say that PSG and Poch I think have been very unconvincing. So even after the first half where they played fantastic, I kind of felt that a collapse is incoming. And I think what happened with um, City was the they almost uh, the, the 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 line is usually did a pep where they overthink it and they over tactical uh, over oh, too many tactical changes, but they kind of did in the first half because Kyle Walker would usually push up, stayed back um, in the first half, obviously to cover for Mbappe, and it disallowed City to play their complete football, and I think it disrupted their rhythm a bit, which allowed uh, PSG to disrupt it more and carry on counterattacking and getting Neymar on the ball. But in the second half, Walker was pushing up higher and City kind of took control. And I think that was a bit more of a shock to the system for PSG. So I think it's a little less about what PSG did wrong and more about what City did right. And I think Neymar got a bit of sticker after the game because he was so good in the first half. Obviously, in the second half, he was completely absent. But I think it was literally just because he was barely getting on the ball. And at least at the weekend, he looked incredibly sharp. And I mean, just to quickly tie it back to what Eric was saying about Lons. Uh, one 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 fun fact here for the listeners. I've never seen a league earned game where someone on the pitch completed more dribbles than Neymar. But even though Neymar was on form, Seco Fofana completed seven dribbles at the weekend, which is fantastic. And I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, Fofana, I mean Fofana, just yeah, what a player, what a what an incredible acquisition for for Lons, as we as we said. Um but Neymar, I mean, Neymar is going to play a key role in this one in particular because obviously Kylian Mbappe is uncertain mm. for the second leg. He he has travelled with the squad um, and obviously this fixture in particular playing in, in at the Etihad Stadium is basically the the fixture that saw Mbappe announce himself to the to the wider world, if you like, back in uh, 2017 for Monaco in the uh, in the knockout stages when when he scored and was so so devastating against that that Manchester City defense um Eric do, do you rate PSG's chances at all if Mbappe is absent do you do you still believe that that the Paris Saint-Germain have a good chance of turning this around without without Mbappe oh, not a good chance uh but a chance yes i, I think that there <laughs> you know there are there are options there i mean we've seen Mauro Cardi have impressive performances for PSG. We've seen Moise Kent um, play very well. Uh, we've seen Neymar score. Uh, I think that there are there are options there. And if you, you have players of that caliber and of that experience, I think it's it will be foolhardy to put anything quote unquote past them. Pardon me, um, but I, no, I, I don't have any any. Uh, I don't harbor any any hopes of, of PSG progressing this. I I see maybe a one one draw if I were asked to ask for a score prediction, which you know obviously would not be enough. Um, needing to score two, um, even against a, a city who have you know considerable pressure on themselves, uh, it doesn't look like an easy uh, result to get. Um, so I, I I think that 
Mbappe or not, this would have been a hard match to win in his absence, uh, or in which to get a result. And, and this is this is even more so the case. Yeah, just looking at the, um, uh, I mean, I only have the Ligue 1 tallies in front of me, but obviously Kylian Mbappe, top scorer of Ligue 1 on, on 25 goals. If you take the next three top scorers for Paris Saint-Germain in the league, in Moise Kane, Mauro Icardi and Neymar combined, they're on 26 goals. So so just one goal more. So obviously, you know, it does significantly change uh, the threat that this team has as, as, as good as those and as dangerous as those players are that you did mention, Eric, in an attacking sense. But it does feel like this could be beyond them, um, particularly given just how easy it seemed at times for Lons to create chances in that, in that game at the weekend. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was amazed, really, that they, they weren't able to, to find the net um, more, than, more than once in that one. Um, Alex, what about you? Do, you? do you think Paris Saint-Germain have any chance or do you, uh, there's, there's any opportunity that, that Pep will do a Pep, you know, this, <laughs> this classic kind of case of overthinking things or over-tweaking things tactically or, or is that the end of Paris Saint-Germain's Champions League run? I think it's, so I think it's the end personally. I think Eric actually smashed it with his answer that there is a chance. You can't write PSG off, but is looking thin hopes. But I will counter this with just that I do think they're going out and I but since the start of the Champions League I I kind of I, I predicted following enough a Chelsea City final as early as the round of 16 which I feel quite proud about myself but with PSG unlike last season where I think it felt like a missed opportunity I think what we've seen this season is that they've really got over their sort of their their, their Champions League uh, nerves I think that win against Atalanta really really broke away some of the nerves they've had uh, last season when it looked like they were about to lose and then they showed some mental strength and overcome it, overcame it. So I think when they go out uh, against City, I don't think it's going to be seen in the same way as the final gets by and it's like a great big missed opportunity. This is our one chance. I think it's more the, okay, we've gone out. City are in incredible form this year, but we trust ourselves to come back. And I think with Pochettino, I do trust PSG maybe to go out this time, but I think they will be in the final or win it within the next year or two yeah i have to agree it does it does seem like that that kind of hoodoo that they've had in recent seasons has has gone now has been banished after after their run last season even and perhaps some of the luck that they've had uh on the way since then of course they will be without um eric maxim to promoting who was the difference maker in that match <laughs> but, but no i i i'm I, I too have been have been backing them along the way but unless we have another Unless we have a hat trick from Marquinhos, who's basically turned into um, or embodying, I guess, the Sergio Ramos role of the <laughs> of the goal scoring defender in, in significant matches, then um, particularly without Mbappe, I think this is this is this would likely be the end of the line um, uh, anyway. And, and even yeah, even with Mbappe, I think Paris Saint Germain will struggle here. So that's that uh, with regards to the Ligue 1 and, and Champions League action. But we do now come to the point where we open the floor to any other potential talking points from the weekend uh, in the world of French football or the world of, of Ligue 1. It can be a match, a piece of news, a noteworthy event. Um, Eric, I'll, I'll come to you first. Any particular bit of news or event that's that's caught your eye? I don't think so. I, I think that, um, you know, I, the the battle for the battle to avoid relegation it continues to heat up as... as uh, Neem, unfortunately, were not able to win, but both not and and uh, Lorient did at the weekend, and we we ha- we have you know what it looks to be an increasingly exciting and expanding relegation race, which I, I don't think uh, you know anyone had really predicted say three or four weeks ago. But um, I think the form that we've seen from some of these sides, particularly not uh, scoring four yesterday, uh, have have has really yeah has really opened things up, and it's it's become a really uh, in, intriguing. Um, I, I think there. I think I saw the stat today that uh, everybody from Angers down still could be uh, relegated. Uh, wow. So, and well, even via the playoffs, it might be more than that. Now that I look at this, um, yeah. But yeah, a, a really, a really uh, wide open relegation battle. And yeah, some of these teams, Angers, um, Bordeaux, that have struggled for form of late. Um, you, you know, you don't rule them getting them getting sucked out. I mean, I, I think you know, obviously Dijon are mathematically down, um, but that playoff spot, um, even though Nantes are four points from Lorient, seventeenth, um, you know, not, they've got two two in a row. They've got certainly capable attacking players, 
Uh, I think there's still a lot of football to be to be played. Um, you know, that will have more twists and turns over these last three matches than perhaps some were anticipating a fortnight ago. Yeah, it's it's holding up in every area of the table as we approach the final few games of the season uh, coming thick and fast. Alex, what about you? Anything for us this week? Yeah, I've I've got one because um I've been speaking, I've been talking about Ligue 1 recently with some Premier League audiences and other audiences and we've debated where Ligue 1 is in the top 5 leagues now. And I'm not going to talk about life. I think Ligue 1 especially this season has shown competitivity and competition rather and as well as the top 4, I think the weaker teams in Ligue 1 are a lot stronger now. And I've got a, a talking point or a question to you guys is so let's say the Nimes and DJ, I know the relegation scene is tight, but let's say Nimes and Dijon go down. And just to make it a bit easier, we'll say Nantes stay up and Troyes and Clermont go up, right? Which teams do you think need to completely overhaul their team next season in Ligue 1 in fear of being left behind? Left behind? Because I think Montpellier, uh, Montpellier, Metz, Nice, they're, they're, they're the ones that are safe, I think. But when you go to down to Saint-Étienne, Angia, Brest, Bordeaux, Strasbourg and Lorient, even though they're staying up this season, I think with how hot Ligue 1 is getting and how it, every team can beat each other now, I think they're all vulnerable. So either you could go first, but which team do you think are you most worried for currently in Ligue 1 the next season? Angers. No Angers. question. No, no word of a doubt. No, Stéphane Moulin, his departure there, he's been an institution. Uh, you've got an aging, an aging squad. I mean, they have they've made some canny investments to bring in players. I think of the likes of Angelo Fulgini and Paul Bernardoni in recent years. Um, Sada Tube, I think, is also a, a player who is inconsistent, but it can be exciting as well. But I, I think they've made some some serious um, some serious missteps in terms of their signings. Stefan Bauken has been had a really poor second half of the season. Lostioni, even though he's only on loan, hasn't done much. Um, and you, again, you've got these older players, the likes of, of Romain Thomas, who's 33, uh, Ismail Traore, who's 35 this year, uh, Thomas Mangani, uh, Pierre Capel. I mean, these players that they've relied upon for since promotion, is that six, seven seasons ago, uh, are aging. Uh, and and that's, show, that's showing. Uh, Angers are no longer this tight as a drum, defensively sound side. Um, there's more holes to their play. Uh, and, you know, they don't have a, a proven goal scorer. Uh, I think that, um, you know, if, if that is the case next season, I really worry about that. Um, right. Right. Uh, Bordeaux, I think also, yes. I mean, they're, you know, they, they have an also an old squad, an old and somewhat stagnant squad. And I, I think that despite the investment they've had there in recent seasons, not this season, uh, <laughs> bringing bring in likes of Remy Udin, you know, that was a, that was a, you know, Nicolas de Preville. Those were, you know, I think eight figure signings, both of them. Um, Bordeaux have showed ambition in the recent past, but I, I think that, that uh, the departure of King Street makes this a very complicated situation um, for what is, I think, in, apropos of the table, you know, one of the, the, the six or seven biggest clubs in France in terms of its history and, and mm. the players that have come through there. Yeah. Uh, Jake, for, uh, before you give yours, I was literally just going to say as well, I'm outlawing Bordeaux because I think they're a bit of an easy answer. And obviously on Jer too. Where is there any other team you think that with how, how competitively Ligue 1 is getting, you're worried for next season? Well, I was I was going to agree entirely with, with Eric. And I, I think the only thing, I, the, 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 the ongoing changes behind the scenes at Angers as well, you know, the fact that they lost their, their influential sporting director, Olivier Picou, last summer as well. There have been several kind of high profile um, and also under the radar changes that have happened behind the scenes there. And um, I've read reports of a potential transfer ban for them. So so they're in particular a side that, that I worry about. But if we're outlawing Angers and, and of course, Bordeaux, whose financial situation is is under significant scrutiny now with the King Street ownership pulling out, I kind of worry a little bit about Rams for a similar mm, reason. That would to, be my answer. To Angers, yeah, because losing David Guion is, is is something we've discussed on previous weeks in the show but but that's obviously another huge um it's a, it could be a huge turning point for the club and their their recent fortunes and 
and in particular led their their succession plan, which we've 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 discussed um, on the show last week as well. Bringing in Oscar Garcia, I, I'm 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 not sure. I think it's going to be a volatile season for them. And yeah. were they to lose a couple of their important players in the summer, I think they've got far more of a foundation um, in terms of um, youth and quality than than someone like Angers. Um, in particular, the likes of you know Pedrag Rajkovic and Bouladia, but these are players that they could well could well lose this summer. So so yeah, for yeah. me for me it would be it would be Angers. But if if I'm forced uh, to avoid them, then it would be Rams. My my final sentence would be be agreed with you. I think I think Rams are their one losing Bouladia away from serious threat of relegation. Wow, bold words, bold words there. <laughs> um, and the, I guess the last talking point that, that, that I'll flag up then is that um, it's emerged that Michel de Zakarian is set to leave Montpellier this summer after a breakdown in, in talks over a, over a new contract, which is obviously a significant upheaval for them. He's guided them to three top 10 finishes in the league and, you know, has assembled a, a squad capable of at least challenging for the, the Europa Conference place or the Europa League places in, in previous seasons. So... Um, I guess my question, in fact, I'll come to you on this one, Eric, is that not only could that have um, a direct impact on, on in, in terms of who they who they bring in and, and, and how well the next coach is able to do with the current squad, but do you see this as having an effect on the squad itself in terms of potentially causing upheaval? Because obviously we, players, some of their key players have been linked with moves away before, in particular the strikers, um, Laborde and Delors, um, and the law came out um, and was quite emotional um, over the news that that Zakarian would be leaving. Do you think this is the start of a potential exodus in terms of players? This this decision, um, uh, I guess, from both parties to, to to not renew the deal. I hope not, because I, I, what I would say is that I think Michel Zakarian has done an okay job at Montpellier, just like he did an okay job at Nantes. Um, in his most recent spell there. I mean, I think he was there two or three times uh, in total. But um, I think to get the team close enough to Europe to to taste it, uh, as he has done each of the last two seasons, uh, only to fall away at the end, um, maybe that is a... Maybe if someone can learn from what he's done to make them a, a potent attacking force... Um, I think that uh, looking at the table quickly here, yeah, only the top four have scored more goals than Montpellier this season. I mean, that's that's no main feat. Delor, Delor, and uh, Laborde are, are, are obviously the chief instigators there. But uh, you have a, you know those two are impressive. You got the Australia Wahi. You've got Laurent Mole and and uh, Tashi Savani for creativity. You've got Stefan Avididi. Um, you've got a decent pair of fullbacks in Aristic and Sambia. Uh, the defense obviously needs some retooling with with uh, how old uh, Hilton is and Daniel Vangre. Um But I think you have the makings of a really solid team there. It's just uh, carrying that through to the end of the season. And that's why, um, where, where I, I can see that that's a frustrating situation. But I have to underscore the fact that, um, I mean, well, you know, here's, look at the form table. Uh, two losses and three draws uh, in their last five matches. You know, turn two of those into wins and they're, a point behind Ren in seventh, and still in the thick of it. Um, to lose to Nice um, in the way they did last weekend, I mean, they were abject. They were really poor. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, again, and again, losing to, you know, there's, again, there's no shame in some of the previous results they've had. Draw against Marseille, draw against Lille. Um, you know, they had that gutty win in the Coupe de France. Um, so they actually still get Europe by winning the Coupe de France, not out of their own possibility, if they can spring it up against PSG next Wednesday. Uh, but again, yeah, losing at home to Saint Etienne, um, it just it, it it's yeah, it's 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 a really damning set of evidence in terms of how this team has performed and approached um, the final few matches of a season, uh, especially when there is a prize on the table. And, and it's not as if the club haven't invested. I mean, you know, the board wasn't cheap. Savani was a club record signing, eleven million, I think. Um, Mavadidi wasn't cheap this summer either, and. You know, the fact that the the team's, uh, you know, the, the Nicolas family's faith in Dershikarian and his methods haven't resulted in your, a return to European football, um, which I think, in terms of talent, uh, I, I think you can make it, I think Montpellier are one of the, well, 
I don't know. There certainly deserve to be more in the mix than they are at present. And I'm not going to say that they're, you know, lock, stock, and barrel, one of the top six most talented teams in the league. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a frustrating situation for the club's ownership given what they've invested into this team um, and not getting European places to reward when you see the likes of a Nice uh, or a Dijon or Strasbourg in recent seasons um, playing in Europe, albeit in the play-in rounds for some of them, but still. Um, you know the the recognition and and fame that that brings along with it is is a you know uh, must be a bitter pill to swallow for those in charge at Montpellier, and I can see why they want to move on from Dzerkarian. Yeah, I, and 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 one of the criticisms that can perhaps be leveled at them is that when they've looked in fairly strong positions to make a a challenge for for fourth or fifth fifth, fifth place in the table, I'm thinking back to, to in particular to the the 2018-19 season, they did also drop off there and 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 did kind of uh, i think could have been accused of being streaky at least in terms of their results if not their performance um levels so if 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 a new coach can come in and maybe consistently get higher levels out of out of some of the players in that side particularly the likes of savanier who who at times can can blow blow hot and cold um it will be intriguing i mean they're linked with the likes of sabri lamucci of course finished fifth with ren and then it all fell apart a little bit in the in the following season, and and more recently he had a unsuccessful spell at Nottingham Forest, albeit one that was initially more more successful. And and the likes of, of Patrick Vieira, of course, who I I think is perhaps it'd be fair to say has had a mixed reception for his time at Nice, maybe less mixed given how how things ended. But um, I think there were some that 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 saw that as, as some solid foundations, and others who took one look at the football that was being played and <laughs> and thought no way. So, so yeah, it's a uh, it's uh, a, another club where I think we're set to see uh, obviously a big change and certainly a potentially significant one um, going forward. Let's end the show then with our uh, spotlight section, which is making a return. That's where we shine a light on one of the young players currently impressing in the league marketed as the League of Talents. Uh, this week's profile, courtesy of Eric, uh, will be on one half of arguably Ligue 1's most impressive midfield duo this season in Monaco's Yusuf Fafana. The 22-year-old was born in Paris and after several spells in lower league academies, joined Strasbourg, where he impressed before moving to Monaco last summer for around 15 million euros. Eric, can you give us a bit of background on Fafana and tell us about the season that he's having. Yeah, Yusuf Fafana, I think, is is sort of the, um, the how would I say this? He he and, obviously, Aurelien Germani has gotten a lot of the plaudits as well, uh, have really been a nice, if not yin, yin and yang, offered a counterbalance to Monaco's midfield. I think Chalmany is a more physical and imposing player, gets through a lot of work in, tack, in terms of his tackling and, and, and um, defensive acumen, whereas Fafana is more... Uh, a skilled player. He's he's got uh, a great range of passing. We saw that for his his assist for Wissam Ben Yedder against um, Angers the other week. Uh, really lovely through ball. Uh, it's that sort of creativity um, that I, I he's starting to really events that I I think is starting to make me sit up and take notice of him. He's always been you know a hardworking player, someone who's got a lot of dynamism to him in terms of the way he can build play. You know, both playing with the ball on his feet and passing. But I think that um, you know he's he he. It hadn't had a lot of playing time, frankly, at, at Strasbourg before uh, coming to uh, coming to Monaco. And now that he does have this, and, and he was also dropped at various times earlier in the season. I, I think they had played a midfield three with uh, Sofiane Diop at times, or Cesc Fabregas as part of that three, and uh, Fofana was the was the victim there in terms of being dropped. Um, so you know, this being the case, I think we you know he has the tools. Now that he's been given confidence by Niko Kovac to continue to build play um, and to to contribute a little bit more, to, to add those goals, to add those assists that make him a more complete midfielder. Uh, it's something he's spoken about in press conferences. It's something that Kovac has spoken about wanting more from in terms of his midfield players, um, Chomeny, but Fofana in particular. Um, and I think that the, the more he can make that part of his game, the more complete of a player he'll be and the more impressive he'll be and the more notice he'll, he'll will be taken of him again. Like I said, he's not necessarily a deficient player in comparison to Chalmany, but Chalmany's raw numbers have caught the eye much more frequently this season. And I think that uh, we can we can look at Fofana as being uh, having a player being a player with just as much potential, uh, if not quite as high profile, um, at this point in time. 
Yeah, and, and certainly someone who we would expect, given given that Monaco in all likelihood will qualify for the Champions League, someone who will likely be a big part of this project in years to come, um, compared to perhaps some of the players at other clubs we highlight who maybe uh, we expect to move um, elsewhere, um, even compared to, say, someone like Aurelien Chouameni, who, of course, has been kind of quite high, quite publicly linked with uh, with moves to the likes of, of Chelsea, I believe. Um, Fafana certainly seems like someone who will have a lasting impact on this Monaco side and has really had a breakout season and and certainly come a long way since since that red card on his debut where I think many were many were slightly left scratching their heads after after the fee but no a, a, a very talented young midfielder nonetheless um, anyway that's all we've got time for today many thanks to Eric and Alex for joining me um, please don't forget to follow us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest from the world of French football and check out our website getfootballnewsfrance.com i'm your host jake smales and i've been joined by eric devin and alex barker stay safe enjoy the football and have a great week <laughs>